Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, this week and next week, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, soul care in the new covenant. So we've attempted to answer the question, what is soul care and why study its 3000 year history? And we've considered the ancient paths of soul care under the old covenant, and we've had an introduction to the glory that was Greece and the grandeur that was Rome with secular soul care in the ancient world. And then last time we came to the wonderful counselor himself, we came to Jesus Christ. And we come to Jesus as the panacea of soul care, something that will make everything about a situation better. And why? Because when we counsel Christ, we don't just counsel a theory, we counsel a person and his promises. In this next episode, then, we are going to relate to those folks that Jesus most immediately influenced, and that would be the Jews and Gentiles of the first century, among whom he lived and moved and had his being. Remember, the early church, and particularly the early Messianic Jews, had a tradition of their own. Parents, wise men, scribes, and rabbis of the Old Covenant. As you know, the Gentiles and many of the Greeks and Romans had the tradition of their own. Luminaries like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle had already left the scene, but, but not their ideas. Ideas have consequences. Ideas remain. And each of these men left disciples or schools, or at least schools of thought. And by the first century, the early church was birthed into a culture that was swimming with all sorts of competing models of philosophy, psychology, soul care, spiritual direction. The Hellenists, the Epicureans, the skeptics, the Stoics. In time, we have the development of the Gnostics. The first century church, now a healthy mix of both Jewish and Gentile believers, had all sorts of options as it related to what we might call counseling, to the care and the cure of the human soul. We know that these folks preached Christ. We know that they were committed to teach Christ, but did they counsel Christ? And that might raise a more important question. Did Christ himself counsel? Well, once again, we turn to the worthy words of Dr. John McNeil and his magisterial history of the cure of souls. McNeil writes the following, quote, in any review of the great historical figures, one must come to the name that is above every name, Jesus of Nazareth. From the first century to the 20th, he has challenged the allegiance of the generations and increasing numbers of people have called him Lord and Master. We see in Jesus' early ministry calling forth a wide and popular response. Crowds press upon him, both to witness his miracles and to hear his teaching. A definite impression is conveyed, however, that he preferred not to be attended by great numbers, but to minister to a few. Most of his recorded teaching is addressed to small groups or, or imparted in conversation with individuals. His recognition of the authority of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3, is to be weighed against his free approach to the former and his low opinion of the latter. Much of his teaching was uttered in dialogue. It's of great interest to observe how freely the gospel conversations are strewn with interrogation points. At this point, a comparison with Socrates can hardly escape the student. 
the importance of the conversation of one individual in the great parables are fraught with the gladness of redemption. If the restoration of the individual soul is so important as to be thought of as the occasion of celebration for the angels in heaven, so also peril and damage to a soul is of gravest concern. Numerous incidents are reported in which Jesus deals with individual spiritual needs. The repentance of the sinner is the matter of importance. As the healing of the body and of the soul are linked together, so it is impossible to separate from these utterances the consciousness of Jesus that he exercises a divine power in both spheres. And McNeil finishes with this statement, Jesus made available two great boons which we humans ceaselessly crave, spiritual renewal and spiritual repose, end quote. Well, that was a rather long quote, but we need to ask the question now again pointedly. Did Jesus counsel people? <laughs> well, that, that's mainly what he did. In fact, he didn't spend the majority of his time with throngs of people, just like McNeil wrote, or even administering, administrating modest-sized gatherings of people. The three years of his public ministry, quote-unquote public ministry, were surprisingly private. He called to himself twelve, and of the twelve, three in particular. In over 36 months, he gave them everything he had all that he was, even to the point of death. He instilled convictions in these men, he imparted character to these men, and he even trained these men in ministry competencies. And though they all deserted him at the point of his suffering and death after his resurrection, there were 120 men and women there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. And God helping them, that 120, they began to turn the world upside down. And how do they do it? Well, I want to suggest in this episode and next that they did it essentially through counseling Jesus Christ. So let's talk about two particular practitioners of New Covenant counseling in this episode. We're going to look at parents and church leaders. First, parents. Practitioners of New Covenant counseling. We start with parents, but not just parents generally. If we're really going to do justice to the biblical New Testament data, there is a concern with fathers in particular, what I'll call gospel fathers. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, it may be that we have men listening to this particular podcast for whom this topic excites you and it needs no further explanation. And if that's you, I want to say fantastic and amen. And I also want to say that you are unusual. The reason the Bible calls out fathers here isn't just because of our leadership in the home, but also because without directions this specific, we would wander away from this every time. Now, I'll get personal and talk about my particular geographical setting for a moment. I live about 30 minutes west of the Twin Cities in a city by the name of Mound in the western third region of the Lake Minnetonka area. 
Now, for a lot of guys, uh, this whole area of soul care, specifically spiritual direction, counseling, it's just terribly unsettling. And I don't suppose that here in the city of Mound, things are much different in other places. Um, I'm going to picture the quintessential old school Mound man. So jeans, work boots, Carhartts, probably owns a rifle or two. He speaks in one word syllables. <laughs> he hangs out in his garage. Uh, he disappears to the deer stand up north every November. You know this guy? Okay, that's the old school mound man. And he cuts across the generations from 19 to 90. Now, there's another guy that lives in town. Uh, we'll, call, we'll call him the new school mound man. The new school mound man. Who is this guy? Well, this guy's got two iPhones. Uh, he wears press slacks to work. He's got a house on the lake, a boat, a couple of jet skis. He's got a, a timeshare in Fort Myers, uh, ski trips to Aspen and Vail, master's degree from the Carlson School of Management at the U, uh, 2.3 kids and a beautiful wife. You know this guy? Okay. Well, clearly these are, these are caricatures, right? But certainly there are men that don't conform to either of these and are a mix of the two. But, but I think there's some truth here. Now, you may imagine that such men have next to nothing in common. And on the surface of it, that may be so. But you do a little bit of digging, and what you discover is that these men, all men to some degree, struggle with the theme of this particular episode and this particular um, podcast series because what they imagine when they think of soul care and counseling is, is distressing for them. <laughs> They're imagining something very awkward and exquisitely painful. <laughs> Counseling for them is an hour on the clock, laying horizontal on a couch, talking to a weird, old, perverted man from Austria about your mother. <laughs> and to become a counselor, ha, right? Forget it. Um, because again, they're imagining cosmetic changes. I mean, for, for most guys to be interested in soul care, they're imagining that they're going to have to start wearing pastel cardigans and listening to NPR and, and hanging out with the self-help self -help section at Barnes & Noble. And, and if I can do anything with this podcast series, um, I just want to absolve you if you're a man of that particular burden. Okay, You can remain a man and be involved in biblical counseling, to be involved in soul care. Remember several episodes ago, David Pallison's definition of biblical counseling. Pallison once said, all counseling means is having wise, candid, fruitful conversations about things that really matter. He says, that is biblical counseling, and that is the charge of being a Christian. We all need it, and we all need to do it. The alternative is to have foolish, evasive, barren conversations. Now, how many guys can sign up for that? Well, me too. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul knew how to rally men in his day. In the ancient city of Corinth, awash in the secular psychologies with uh, wild ethical exploration, Paul speaks to men in those churches. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, he says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So gospel fathers, the first most mission critical and powerful class of soul care physicians in the first century church were parents. And fathers in particular, if we look at the New Testament documents. 
Now we need to move on to church leaders, but interestingly as we do so, what we'll see is that as soul care among church leaders develops, it also develops along the lines of parenting. So let's talk about church leaders. The second tier of soul physicians and spiritual directors in the church is leaders. Consider the work of the pastor teacher as it's unfolded in Ephesians 4.12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's quite a statement. So what's a pastor's job? Well, it's, it's not hatch, match, and dispatch, right? Dedicating kids, uh, marrying young people, and burying old people. That's what the culture thinks it is. But that's a worldly churchgoer's uh, idea of being a pastor. That's not what the Bible says it is. That's not the pastor's job. We, we do those things, but those are superficial at best, tertiary at most to the essence and calling of a pastor, of the minister of the gospel. The pastor teacher, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The pastor teacher is to push the gospel resources up to the front line. That's their work of ministry. So that the work of ministry of the saints can themselves be done. That's the work of the pastor. And notice it's very hands-on. How do you equip a person apart from knowing them? Apart from long, slow, loving, deliberate, wise conversation with them. And these people... Well, they, they don't typically come prepackaged. Most people who profess faith in Jesus are an absolute mess, right? Including pastors. <laughs> That's the reason we all come to Jesus. And change comes slow. Sanctification is a crockpot. It's, it's not a microwave. Paul knows that. And so Ephesians 4, 12, and 13 is just, it's, it's un-American. <laughs> These just aren't our values. And the measure of that is number one, how wild this job description sounds to our ears, and number two, that we are so spiritually immature in general. Now, I want to keep reading because in Ephesians 4, if we pick up the reading in verse 14, what we discover is a shockingly accurate depiction of American Christianity and then the way forward. So listen now to Ephesians 4, 13 to 16. Paul says the pastor teacher should be the counselor equipper to the saints verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, these images are stunning, and all of them related to a sort of growth that can only be called maturity. Now, understand that pastors should still preach, still teach. My, my, yes. <laughs> the public exposition of the Word of God is the foundation of pastoral work. That's, that's to some degree what I'm doing right now. However, 
The foundation ain't the whole house. I mean, sermons and classes and podcasts are key, but they're not enough. Now, I I unapologetically prepare somewhere around the neighborhood of 15 hours a week to preach. And I preach long sermons. (laughs) I'm, I'm all for teaching Sunday school classes. I'm committed to the public ministry of the Word of God. But those are just two legs of the stool. There's a third leg so many pastors and teachers and churches are overlooking. Call it training, call it equipping, call it personal discipling relationships. In a particular heightened sense, we might call it soul care, spiritual direction, or counseling, intensive discipleship. And pastors must be about this work too. Not only doing this work, but equipping others to do this work. We must be, or we sell our birthright. And most pastors do. They actually farm it out to other people outside of the church. Not Paul, not the churches he served. These guys got down with the people. These guys got in the trenches and led their families and loved their wives and discipled their kids and cared for the souls of the sheep in their flock. The New Testament evidence is overwhelming. Allow a few examples. When Paul began to uh, to mentor Timothy, Acts 16.3 says he took him. (laughs) He took him. And to use his language in the pastoral epistles, he became Timothy's father in the gospel. Timothy's dad was a Greek, the Bible says, and we presume he was a pagan. Timothy's dad didn't know Jesus. So far as we know, Paul had no biological children, But this is not a problem for the advance of the gospel. (laughs) Please listen to me. You need not have any legal or biological children of your own in order to be a remarkable Christian parent. Listen to how Paul speaks of Timothy to the church in Philippi. Philippians 2, 19-22. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. By the way, read soul care there. Genuinely concerned for your welfare, for your soul care. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Did you hear it? How could you not? Soul care is is parental in nature. Think of 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, where Paul says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you would become very dear to us. Or we read in Galatians 4.19, My little children, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Or 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And Paul's not alone. Other church leaders use this sort of parental soul care dynamic language. Think of, think of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Think of John. The last verse in 1 John is a warning as from a father. 1 John 5.21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
<laughs> he calls them little children. Or 3 John 4, it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So pastors, elders, church leaders, these guys cared for souls. They did personal one-on-one -on -one ministry of the word of God. And this is how people change. Now, 1,600 years later, the Puritans bore witness to this. Now, we will come around to the Puritans in due time, but I've, I have to drop in something here from Richard Baxter. Um, in his wonderful biographical description of Richard Baxter, uh, the authors Joel Beakey and Randall Peterson write the following, quote, Baxter went from home to home with an assistant, speaking with each family for one hour and providing each family with an edifying book or two, usually written by himself. He said of these visits, this is a personal quote from Baxter, few families went from me without some tears or seemingly serious promises to strive for a godly life. And then he also added, some ignorant persons who have been so long unprofitable hearers have gotten more knowledge and remorse of conscience in half an hour's close disclosure than they did from 10 years of public preaching. And then uh, Beaky and Randall Peterson finished with this statement. The home visits bore fruit. The congregation kept overflowing its meeting place so that five galleries had to be added. When Baxter came to Kidderminster, scarcely one family on each street among the 800 families honored God in family worship. Okay, so household by household. And you think, well, that's, that's quaint. <laughs> and I reply, that's biblical. That's practical. It's transformational. The man we knew as both Saul and Paul in the New Testament always did his most impactful work from house to house. I mean this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I'll tell you what, there is exegetical depth behind this. Before and after his conversion, Paul, or Saul, made house calls. For example, Acts 8.3, Luke notes that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul made home visits, according to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Murderous, angry, persecuting household visitation. <laughs> now, here's, here's the kicker. Old habits evidently die hard for this man who on the beach in Miletus, as he's saying farewell to the Ephesian elders there, he tells them in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. <laughs> now, this is what's wild. Luke uses the exact same Greek phrase in chapter 8, verse 3, as in chapter 20, verse 20, kata tus oikus house to house. It's the only time it appears in the book of Acts, and it appears twice in reference to Saul or now Paul's house calls. Beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> we'll let John McNeil have the last word on this before we finish up this episode. Here's what McNeil says. 
The guidance of Christians in day-to-day living is a prominent feature of the Pauline and other New Testament epistles, profound expressions of grace, but also codes of Christian behavior dealing with the conduct of individuals, but of individuals as mutually responsible and cooperative members of the one body. The intimacy of apostolic ministry to individuals is seen in many incidental references. Very striking, too, are the greetings to persons. The mutuality and brotherliness of the Christian life shine in these passages. Well, this lobs the ball over the plate for the final stop on our guided tour of soul care in the New Covenant and that would be soul care among church members, church members as soul care physicians, as biblical counselors. And if you want to hear more, come back next week. Until then, grace and peace.